We um, have been thinking, haven't we, already through our time of how we have hope that is constant and sure. That we are loved by a king who is king of all kings, whose kingship is never up for question, who rules and who reigns, who journeys with us through all seasons. Which means that in times of grief and in times of mourning, we have hope because of who he is and because of what he's done. But also through the difficulties of, of life, as we read already, didn't we, as Paul was saying, actually, suffering many afflictions, there are many things that we're going through, but I know actually through it all, God is preparing for me something far greater. He's doing something within me and readying something within me that is going to be fully realised when the day comes, when I stand face to face with Jesus. And as a church, we've been thinking really just starting over the last week, uh, last few weeks, actually this recognition of the season that we're in nationally, but also globally. There's this term that's being used, isn't it? This cost of living crisis, this realisation that actually there is a lot of pressure mounting on, on, on the nation and on our communities and on our neighbourhoods that probably many of us are having to face up to and work our way through as well. We have seen escalating prices of uh, fuel and energy bills. We've seen inflation skyrocketing. We've seen yet another change in the government this week. Things that are meant to be constant and steady and that are meant to give us confidence as a nation seem to be faltering and, and failing. But we know the one who is constant through it all. And actually we felt as an eldership what we wanted to do is, as much as we are able to, is for us as a people, as a church, to be prepared as best we can for the months and the years ahead. In order that we have our eyes fixed on Jesus, but so that we are ready to help those who will need help and support and care. Particularly thinking about the poor and the vulnerable who are going to be most hardly hit by this. Many who were already struggling, and yet this has just escalated it even further. But also it's going to be bringing in those who were perhaps more comfortable. Actually, it's going to be moving more people out of that place as well. And so we want as churches to really seek God, to dig into the word, and to be those who are good news in difficult times. We've called, we're doing a bit of a series and we've called this series Changed. Because actually we're sensing God's call of actually what part do we have to play to be the change that we need to see? And the change that needs to come about. We're thinking about changed churches, changed, uh, changed communities, and changed lives. And we started last week, didn't we, by thinking about in Micah 6 verse 8, where it says, What is commanded of you, O mortal, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. We are to be those. It's God's heart that his people are to be those who do justice, love kindness, and uh, walk humbly with God. And we started exploring that a little bit last week. Next week, we're going to pick up on what it is to, uh, to, um, to love kindness and to love mercy. But for today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. If you have a Bible with you, you might want to turn there. It will come up on the screen, so you'll be able to follow along, even if you don't, if you don't have a Bible with you. Uh, but just while you're finding your way there, um, I recently came across something 
spoken by a guy named Mark Sayers. Some of you may have heard of Mark Sayers. He's a guy with a, a really recognized prophetic gift. And he's been speaking very prophetically into uh, the current, uh, really over the last few years, particularly with the pandemic uh, and kind of continuing on through that. And he speaks of, uses this terminology of like being in a gray zone. So it's this sense where one season hasn't quite finished, but a new one hasn't yet started. And it's like this kind of messy gray area where no one's quite sure how things are going to go. And we're waiting for something to end in order for something new to start. And I think actually that's a really helpful picture of where we, where, where we find ourselves at this time. And he says this, he says that while we may pine for more stable and predictable times, who can relate to that? Who's pining for more stable and predictable times? He says, actually, from a kingdom perspective, this time in history may be the kind of environment that activates a whole cohort of leaders, hidden and waiting for action. For God's presence turns our grey zone in, into a growth zone. I think actually that's a very timely and very profound word and very much what part of this series that we're working through in this time we're, we're giving to saying actually God how do you want us to be prepared what is it that you want us to be doing at this time actually not just in the sense of, 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 lead, of leaders coming through in the way that we might understand leaders but I feel actually across the body of Christ people being raised up uh, and, and, and activated ready to be good news to our communities and neighbourhoods, that actually in this time where we've kind of maybe feel a bit in limbo and a bit stuck, that actually this is a, a season that God is going to use for growth. Uh, and perhaps in a way that wouldn't have occurred if situation and circumstances weren't as they were. And so with that in mind, we're going to spend a bit of time in Matthew 6. This is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is, is, is sharing with those who, who, were, who were there to listen, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom of God. These are the principles uh, and the priorities of God's kingdom. The priorities and principles that are on God's heart. And we're going to pick up from chapter 6 and verse 5. We're going to read through to verse 34. And then we're just going to draw out a few bits from that. So Jesus said this. He says that when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues. And at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. and Pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will, re will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. So pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy. Oh, sorry, I'm going to jump down to um, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, 
that your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, uh, how, they, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. For, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own job. Let me just lay out to you where, what I want to share and what I want to, want to draw out from this. Bearing in mind the season that we're bringing this in and the situations that many are facing. The first is this. The first thing that I want us to take away and the first thing that I think Jesus draws us to is this, is that ultimately God is our provider. And secondly is this, is that I think for many of us, we're actually at a place where our relationship with material things is front and centre. And even if it wasn't before, it's kind of being bought that way by circumstance and what's going on around us. In one sense, it could be that we're recognising our own worries and concerns. Maybe worry and anxiety that was already there, is being escalated. Maybe for some it's, it wasn't there before, but it's starting to come in. We're finding ourselves worrying about whether we will have enough and how things will, what provision there is for us. But I think also, this moving of material things front and centre also provides us with an opportunity to consider what our response is in terms of with what we have. How can I respond with what God has given to me? Especially in line with what we were looking at last week, what it is to be a people who do justice. Actually, part of what we were saying was how can we love people well and support them and help meet them in their need and in their vulnerability and in their distress. And I think with those things that I've mentioned, actually, I think Jesus speaks into all of these in those verses that we've just read and in what we've just heard. I just want to pray for myself. Um, <laughs> so just humour me. As I do this, Father, I pray, would you just help me by your spirit to just communicate clearly and with grace what it is that you've laid on my heart for today. Lord, I pray around subjects and situations where actually we want to speak with compassion and with grace. I pray that you would help me to do that. 
And Lord, that you would help us to receive what is shared in the way that it, <laughs> the way that it was intended. So prepare our hearts to receive what you would say. Amen. Okay, so in this part in the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is doing is Jesus is teaching us how to pray. He's not asking us to do something that he didn't. What we see through the Gospels is that Jesus often, didn't he, he withdrew away from the crowds to go and spend time with the Father. It was a priority of him, of his, to know that actually day by day before he did anything else and before he gave out of himself, he went to spend time with his Father in fellowship with him, to seek him for what his will was. And so actually, when Jesus is, is, is telling us this is how you pray, it's not, he's not asking us to do something he didn't do. Actually, we're to follow Jesus' example. See, in teaching us how to pray, pray, what Jesus is actually doing is Jesus is inviting us to enjoy what he has always enjoyed. He's in calling us and inviting us to enjoy a relationship with Father God, to enjoy fellowship with Father God. And what he says is he compares actually what prayer is meant to be like compared to what we see with prayers with those around. He talks about the hypocrites, doesn't he, and the Gentiles and the ways in which they were praying. But when Jesus teaches us how to pray, he says this is not about ceremony, but this is primarily, first and foremost, about relationship. It's about walking every day with God. It's about time away from everyone else. He says, doesn't he? Don't be like those who pray in front of everyone so that they can be heard and they pray with wise and eloquent words so they look good in front of other people. He says, no. Get some time away. Just you and God. This isn't about ceremony. This is about you being real. This is about you being honest. This is about you being vulnerable. Because you're coming to your Father who loves you. And it stands, doesn't it, in real stark and direct contrast to, to those that he calls out and the way in which they're praying. He says, don't be like that. That is not what prayer is about. It doesn't matter if you don't have all the right words. It doesn't matter if you get tongue-tied. It doesn't matter if there are moments when you don't actually say anything at all. All you can do is just groan or cry or whine or moan or whatever it is that you're going to do. Actually, he says, it's about you and your father. It's about you spending time with him. And in teaching us what to pray, Jesus reveals the priorities of the kingdom. And one of the priorities of the kingdom is this, is to daily seek God and ask him that he would give us this day our daily bread. What that means is that we're saying, actually, we're looking to God and trusting God to provide our physical needs for that day. We're trusting him that our physical needs for that day are met. Why? Because God is our provider. And I don't know about you, but far too often I forget that. Because I can think, actually, my provider is my employer who provides me, who provides me wages. Or my provider is another source of income or another source of support that I get. But actually, Jesus is saying, no, we need to look to, to, to God, first and foremost, as our provider. Ultimately, it all comes from him. My experience of this is I, I went through a, a period where walking into work I would pray through the Lord's Prayer sometimes I would get, I'd get further with it, sometimes more than others, sometimes I'd get in one place and not want to move on from there, I'd spend time praying on that, 
But actually what I found that it did is that daily it helped me to recognise that whatever I needed for that day, I was trusting God for and asking him for. And one of the questions that came to my mind as I was preparing for this morning, one of the thoughts that came to my mind is this, is can comfort keep us from praying that God would provide our daily need? When was the last time you asked God to provide what you needed for that day? I'm not, I don't mean this as a condemning word, I just actually I think it's helpful to ask. Because actually it might help us to, sh- if we haven't, then, then the question is why? And I do think that comfort can keep us from looking to God as our provider. Because actually we already have everything that we need. Or if I don't, I know where I can go, I think I know where I can go to get it. And actually, as you're hearing this being shared and this call that Jesus gives to uh, look to God as our provider, maybe this is becoming more and more a part of your daily prayers as the days and weeks go on with what is going on around us and the difficulties and the pressures that we're facing. Could be that it's something that actually you already were praying every day because you really know that you're needing to trust God. But it could be that it's starting to become more of a thing, perhaps as worry and pressure comes along and actually it's no bad thing for us to have our eyes drawn back to God and our attention drawn back to him see Jesus is saying this that it's God we go to first and foremost we're to trust God's provision over our basic needs and as we continued reading we find that Jesus actually speaks particularly to anxiety that can be uh, present around possessions and around material things. But we need to recognise that when Jesus is speaking into this worry and into this anxiety, he's not doing it as a rebuke, but as an encouragement. And the reason I really want to emphasise this is because I think there can be very unhelpful comments and conversations around anxiety, particularly for followers of Jesus. Even have seen things being written on the internet saying that anxiety is a sin. Because it means that you're not trusting God. That is not true. Someone I found really helpful on this is a guy named Kyle Howard. He's in the States. I've mentioned him before in a sermon. He's a historical theologian, but by profession, he is a soul, a soul care provider. And he's so helpful. He's just helped to open my eyes around this. And he says, actually, when, particularly when looking at when Jesus speaks into anxiety, around spiritual anxiety, it is not framed as sin but as an understandable struggle that is comforted through encouragement can you see that jesus brings encouragement and not rebuke he empathizes with those who struggle with anxiety and he encourages them in the providence of god he points them back to god this is where you need to be this is where you need to look and what we see through scripture and what we see through the words of jesus is that God himself holds us through anxiety and he wants to comfort and reassure us while we, while we struggle through worries and anxiety. And I just wanted to say that because I think there's a lot of really unhelpful conversations and messages that are going on out there that we need to stand against and cut through. Because for many of us, anxiety and worry is a very real part of our experience and of our life. But know this, is that Jesus empathises with those who struggle and his heart is to encourage you 
and not to rebuke you. It's similar, isn't it, to the words that we see the Apostle Paul write in Philippians 4, verses 6 to 7, where he says, Not to be anxious about any, everything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Bring it to God. And what comes? The peace of God will surely be yours. It's not a rebuke, but it's an encouragement. Bring your worries. Bring your anxieties to God. But we also need to see what Jesus is addressing here in the context of what Jesus is addressing. And we've seen, haven't we, in verses 19 to 24, actually, it would be easy to skip over. What Jesus is saying is he's asking us to think about, actually, what are you treasuring? Are you treasuring most of the things on earth or are you treasuring most of the things that are to come in heaven? Because where our treasure lies, there our hearts will be also. And so when Jesus is talking about, do not be anxious about your life, what he's actually doing is he's calling his followers not to focus, not to focus solely on worldly possessions and pleasures. He says, these are the things that the Gentiles are worried about. They're worried about luxury and comfort. That is what preoccupies them. That is what dominates their thinking and what dominates their lifestyle. But you are not to be like that. Actually, what Jesus is calling his followers to is to pursue a radical lifestyle that actually surrenders comfort and surrenders control. This is challenging. But actually, this is what it is to be, to, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. Actually, to surrender these things to God and to live at least in terms of, 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 uh, of, of the world around us, actually very radical lifestyles. But as we do so, we're to put our trust in God one day at a time. So actually, when I said towards the start that we're at a time and a place where our, our relationship with material things is front and center, that is true. And what Jesus is speaking speaks into that, but it is true anytime. This is true not just during a cost of living crisis. Actually, God calls us to really think about where our priorities lie. What are the things that are causing us to worry? What are the things that are causing us anxiety? And actually Jesus says around materiality and around possessions, actually I don't want you to be worried. I don't want you to be anxious. I want you to trust in God's provision for your basic needs. I want you to seek him first. I want you to trust him. And Jesus shows us why we're to trust God. Firstly, because he's our father. Throughout chapter 6, Jesus refers to God as father many, many times. It's through it. Your father who is in heaven. Your father who is in secret. Your father who knows what you need before you do. How to pray. Our father who art in heaven. Your father will meet all of your needs. And Jesus is just time and time and time again reassuring us and drawing us back to the fact that God is our Father. He loves us. He is for us. Surely he will provide for us. The very thing that Jesus came to do was to bring us into God's family in order that we would know him as Father. He came to make a way. And actually, when Jesus, in, in this passage, he's calling out the Gentiles, isn't he? Saying, don't be like the Gentiles in the way that they're doing the thing. But the good news is, is that Jesus came for everyone so that actually, whether Jew or Gentile, all can now come. 
and know God as Father and to put their trust in him. Not only that, we're to trust God. Why? Because he's in secret. I think it's so key, this sense of going off and, and, and being with God on your own. Why? Because when we're told to pray for daily needs, it's not because we're seen to be doing the right thing. It's because actually in that quiet, hidden place, we can be real with God about where, where our struggles are and what we need. And to walk that through with him day by day and to trust him in that day by day. And not only that, he's a father who, who's in secret. He, he knows what the, kind of the secret hidden things, but he knows what we need. Here's the thing, he knows what we need before we even ask him what we need. He knows what we need before we even know what we need. And that's why we can trust him. And we can put our trust in him. Because even before we've asked him for anything, he knows. He sees. And he knows what we need. Jesus also tells us why we can trust God. It's because of the place that we hold in God's affections. Verse 26, when talking about the birds of the air, Jesus says this, Are you not of more value than the birds who God looks after? Then in verse 30, speaking about the grass and the flowers of the field that are here one day and gone the next, he says, But you're not like that. Actually, how much more will God provide for you? Did you know that you hold a place in God's affection? That nothing else in all creation can fill, or, or not, not can fill, but has that same place, sorry, within God's affections. In Genesis 1 verse 27, we see this account of creation. The only part of God's creation that is made in God's image is us, is people. And really that was our starting point for justice last week, is to recognise that all people are made in the image of God. Which is why actually we should seek to love them well. And we should seek to care for them well. But actually because the only thing in God's creation that is made in God's image is people, it shows that actually we hold a different place in God's affections than the rest of creation. John 3.16 says as well, it was because God so loved us that he sent his only son that Jesus even came to be God with us. And to make a way. So all the while, Jesus is, why should we trust God with our daily need? Why should we surrender comfort? Why should we surrender uh, all of these things? Why? Because he's our father. And he loves us and he is trustworthy and he knows what you need. Not only that, it's because you hold a place in God's heart that the rest of creation does not. And if you look throughout creation and you see the way that God provides for animals and for grass and for flowers, how much more will he provide for you? So do not be anxious. Do not concern yourselves with these things. Do not allow it to dominate your life. Because God is our provider. And ultimately God is our provider. And I really want to encourage you through this season, through this time, through this crisis that our nation is facing, come to God daily and trust him as your provider. As your provider. Ask him for what you need. Trust him for what you need. But as you do so, know he already knows. But he loves, he loves it when you come to him. He loves it when you spend time with him. 
He loves it when you say, God, I need you. God, would you do this for me? God, I'm not sure how this is going to work itself out. Would you make a way? And I honestly, honestly believe that he is faithful and true and good to meet us in our needs. It might not always look like what we expect it to, but I believe he will meet us in our need. So ultimately, God is our provider. But one other thing that we need to recognise is this, is that we also do not withhold what we have got. Okay, so this is where that question around uh, of um, surrendering control and comfort is because we do not want to keep, we, we don't want to withhold what we have got. Actually, we want to be those who use it for the good of others. Links back to last week, thinking about doing justice, how we can love others, how we can care for others, how we can support others. Actually, a lot of that is about, and this isn't just about material things, it will be partly material things, but actually it's about, don't withhold what you've got. (laughs) Use it for kingdom things. Use it to be a blessing. Use it to love others and to care for others well. See, we could have actually started in verse 1, because before Jesus teaches us how to pray, he says actually about, this is how you're to give to those who are in need. There's a right way of doing it, there's a wrong way of doing it, but make sure that you do it well. But actually, we are to be those who meet the needs of those who are in need and give to those in need. But we kind of couple that with what Jesus teaches us about anxiety and worry. Over, we, we need to couple that with what Jesus teaches about anxiety and worry over possessions. Because Jesus is calling those that, who already have what they need to surrender their privilege and to give to those who are in need and to focus on the kingdom. And that will be the place that some of us find ourselves in. Actually, our needs are met, but actually God is calling us to surrender what we do have and to surrender our privileges at this time in order to say, actually, not just at this time, sorry, it's not just for now. This is actually what it is to to live as part of God's kingdom, to be those that, to give to those in need and to focus everything that we have, including our resources, including our positions on the kingdom. That is why being in community is so important because it's within community that needs are met. Because those who are lacking, someone else can come in and provide what they need and can serve them and help them within that. The word surrender, does it fill you with a sense of joy? Doesn't always for me. It's not that sort of word, is it, that we often use joyfully. But actually, I honestly believe it's a, it is a joyful thing to surrender our privileges, to surrender control, to surrender our comfort, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 5. Pete and Steph, are you able to prepare yourselves and your instruments? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. This is just a really astounding piece of scripture. This is Paul writing. He says, we want you to know, brothers about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Hear this. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave, according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us, begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints, 
and this not as we as expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. These believers in Macedonia that Paul is talking about, though they themselves did not have much, in giving themselves first to God and surrendering everything that they did have, they found themselves in this place of actually wanting to bless others with what they had. And they gave out of what little they had. And it wasn't done from a sense of being, it wasn't that they were pressured or manipulated or cajoled into doing it. They did it from a place of, of joy. And I think in God's kingdom, that actually there can be radical generosity even in times of great need. We see it. Just one example of it in scripture. But I think we need to be convinced of that ourselves sometimes. That actually, even in times of great need, in God's kingdom, we can see radical generosity and we can play our part in radical generosity. That will look different for each of us. But that is something that we work out, don't we, with the Spirit's leading, with the Spirit's help, through those times away with God. We work out, actually, God, what does it look like for me to live radically when it comes to my possessions and my material things? And actually, as we surrender that, there's potential for great joy as we partner with God in the things of the kingdom. I want to give a bit of space for response here. But I'm aware that the response could be very different. There could be a, a wide range of response in terms of what God has been speaking to us about and perhaps some of the things that God has been putting his finger on in your life. So I want to give room for Holy Spirit just to speak to us. We're going to come and worship. We're going to fix our eyes back on God. We're going to celebrate him. We're going to make much of him. But as we do so, I'm going to ask Holy Spirit to come and just speak to us. I feel that for some, you can relate to this sense of actually you're carrying worry and anxiety. Maybe it is around finance and this worry of how are we going to make ends, how are we going to make ends meet. Maybe it's a, I'm okay for the time being, but I'm not sure what the future holds. I feel like actually this is a place to bring your worry to God. To bring it to him afresh. To bring your need to him. Because he wants to hear it. And he wants to meet you in that place. I feel like perhaps for others actually it's a time for us to surrender our control. To surrender comfort and to say actually God... Whatever I have, I want you to use it for the sake of your kingdom. I think maybe that will be the situation for some. And in that sense, a bit of a, a, a change of focus, perhaps around the way in which we see our possessions and the way we see whatever provision that we have. But that's just a couple of things, as I say. I think there'll be a broader range than that. But I just want to give Holy Spirit room to come and, and work. Does that make sense, what I've said? Let's just invite Holy Spirit to come and work. Let's worship, uh, so let's, let's raise our voices in song and let's, let's allow Holy Spirit to help. And just as you feel him prompting and leading, and just respond in prayer.